Amen. Well, we're going to continue tonight on our series uh, on the subject of grace. We're kind of following uh, a book entitled Why Grace Changes Everything. And it's a book written by Pastor Chuck Smith. I have some of those books are available uh, for you out in the fellowship hall. I believe they're $8 a copy that covers our costs and, and shipping. And I encourage you to get a copy for yourself. You can kind of be tracking through our study as we work through this summer on the subject of grace. I won't be following the book every step of the way, but it, it will serve as our primary outline uh, for our studies together here on Wednesday nights. And tonight, uh, we'll be kind of talking about why grace changes everything. I, my, my title tonight's study is Anyone and Everyone. Anyone and Everyone. And it actually follows Pastor Chuck's chapter 3 which he entitles, No Favorites in the Kingdom. No Favorites in the Kingdom. And the idea here is that God's grace is available for anyone and everyone. You are not excluded. God does not play favorites. God has not just selected or chosen a few of His favorites, but rather His grace looks to reach and touch all and work through all. And it is the grace of God that changes our lives. It's not something that we can work up. It's not something we can work ourselves into. And that's the beauty about grace. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn some kind of status where they're in, now God can use your life or God is willing to work in your life. No, we come as we are. The grace of God is available for all, no matter what our station, no matter what our status you may remember this poem. I'll read it to you. It, it, it's, it's, an, it's a classic poem. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. And I think it, it kind of uh, touches on this theme tonight, the idea that God's grace uh, makes the difference in all of our lives. And uh, I'll read it to you. It's a classic. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile." What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up its strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin, as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three, three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered with bourbon and gin, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, he is going twice, he is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. The grace of God in our lives is what makes all the difference. 
We are just dusty old violins at best. But in the hand of God's masterful hand, by the grace of God, God can showcase something of Himself through your life as a vessel, a trophy, if you will, of His grace and His love. And each and every one of you has this potential. And this is what's important for us to understand. And we'll be looking at some passages tonight. But that's our theme. I want you to know that God has purpose and plan for your life. And if grace is what makes all the difference, and it does, then we're all potential recipients. In other words, it's God's grace that makes the difference. Nothing in me, nothing in you. So really, we're all equal at the cross, aren't we? It's the Master's hand that makes the difference in our lives. And that's what we want to focus on here tonight. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a few verses, and I'm going to have you turn there with me because the passages are too lengthy for me to put up onto the overhead. But I want us to look very very quickly at the life of the Apostle Paul. A case study, if you will, in grace. You know, sometimes God chooses the most least likely candidates to use for his own purpose and glory. And tonight, we'll see that Paul is one of those individuals. Paul, formerly known as Saul, he was originally known as Saul after the Lord converted him and began to use him in ministry. He eventually was known as Paul. But let's pick it, here, pick it up here with me. Try to get an idea, try to get a sense of the kind of man this Paul or Saul was and you see a little bit of history concerning him, picking it up in verse, excuse me, Acts chapter 7, picking it up with verse 57. Now this is at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the very first martyr in the early church. Paul, or known as Saul here, he was there. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The apostle Paul, this was his early days. These were his spiritual roots. Again, the most unlikely candidate. He's one there consenting to the stoning of Stephen. They put the garments at his feet. You guys, I'll watch your jackets. Pick up some rocks and take it to this guy. I'll keep watch over your stuff. Let's put this kid to death. And they watched him uh, be stoned in a public setting. And after that, he began to wreak havoc. He was zealous for the for what he thought was his Jewish roots, and it was he was coming against this new Jesus, this new Christian doctrine that was spreading. And he was trying to snuff it out, even through violence. This was how Saul started. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Just another page over. 
And now we'll see the Lord getting his hand on Saul, who will eventually become Paul. We pick it up in verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's on a witch hunt. He's going to go out. He's getting some official papers now, uh, arrest warrants, if you will. Verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you uh, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. This is the conversion of the Apostle Paul, at this time Saul. And you see the account. He was out doing what he thought was God's work in persecuting the church. And yet now he comes into this vision of Jesus, this touch of grace upon his life, and this would be the beginning of a radical change in Saul's life. This would be the beginning of a whole new spiritual reality for him. That final passage for you to turn, and then I'll have most of them up on the overhead, is 1 Timothy chapter 1. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I wanted you to see what Paul was. I wanted you to see his conversion. And I'd like you to see now his perspective on this. You might ask, why would the Lord choose somebody like Saul? Why would the Lord choose one of the greatest enemies of the church and try to turn him into someone of the greatest apostles of the church? 
Well, it's because of grace. God wanted to demonstrate His grace in the life of the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, Paul says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Look at verse verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul said, listen, I was chief among sinners. I was the worst of the worst. Not only was I bad and insolent within myself, but I was aggressive against those that wanted to live for Jesus. I hated Christians. I wanted to kill them. I wanted to put them in jail. I persecuted them. And yet, God, by His grace, got a hold of my life and began to actually use me not to stop the kingdom, but to further the kingdom. And Paul said, I'm convinced of this, that the, one of the reasons God chose me for this task was that He might establish a pattern for those who will believe after me. Paul saw his radical conversion as something of an example for the rest of us. Lest there be anybody who might think, I'm too far gone to be used by the grace of God. I did too, my, my, my failures are just too, too dark. My, my uh, shortcomings, too many. Maybe you've met people like that. Maybe you've even thought that yourself. I know that I've talked to people, you know, you invite them to church. Oh no, oh no, lightning will strike if I walk into the church. You know, they imagine themselves to be so, uh, you know, unworthy to even come and set foot in a church that, you know, somehow... It might be some, some kind of sparks flying from heaven. They, re- they see themselves really as uh, almost unsavable. They feel like it's just too late for me. It's, I'm too far gone. And that's the beauty of the grace of God. It's never too late. Anyone can be saved and touched by the grace of God. And God has a plan for everyone in and through His grace. Do not... Imagine tonight that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, not only to save and to cleanse and to bring you into relationship with Him, but to use your life for His glory, for His purpose. Paul didn't just get saved. He didn't just get forgiven. Paul got put to work. Paul began to be used mightily by the Lord. He wasn't just like, well, okay, thank God I'm saved, I'm going to get to heaven, but you know, I'm not going to be of any use to the Lord. No, God actually made him exceedingly useful. And Paul said, listen, I'm convinced that the reason God has done this is to demonstrate the power of His grace. Don't look to yourself. 
Don't look to the circumstance. Look to the Lord and look to the grace of God that is able to use and work, uh, to work in your life and to use your life for His glory. Paul would go on to say that he was called by grace. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, again, speaking of how God was using his life, he said, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul said, Listen, this This plan that God had for my life, I believe He had it even before I was in my mother's womb. God's grace was always intending to call me and put me into service. These things that that we sometimes imagine would somehow disqualify us, God saw all of that. God knew these things before. God actually will use those things as He did in Paul's life. This testimony, this radical behavior, this... Of, his, of him before Jesus actually became useful in his testimony for Jesus. Now, it's not that God put him up to those evil deeds, but God, by his grace, was able to work all things to get together, even Paul's shortcomings. God was able to weave that into usefulness by grace. And that's what I want to say to you tonight. God can use anyone. Anyone is useful to the Lord. The grace of God can touch anyone's life. God is not looking for anyone special. In fact, in the kingdom of God, there are no special people. There are no VIPs. There are no, you know, oh, you know, he's the, he's the pastor. Oh, he's the, she's the, she's the anointed one. He's the, you know, really gifted one. Oh, God has, oh, sure, God can use them. God can't use me because I'm not as important, I'm not as useful, I'm not this, I'm not that. None of that is true in the kingdom of God. I remind you of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, he said, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the weak, uh, the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Again, God uses the most least likely candidates to be examples, trophies, showcases of His grace. And Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, you know, look around. And I might say that to us tonight. You know, look around. <laughs> you know, there, there's no famous people here in our midst tonight, right? No VIPs. We're just folks. We're just people. But God has chosen the common people, just you and I, that He might show forth His glory. God's not looking for VIPs. In fact... Those who imagine themselves VIPs are almost excluded from usefulness to the Lord because God's not interested in any flesh glorying in His presence. Oh, God, you are so fortunate to have me now in the kingdom. Boy, you got, uh, you know, you really got it. You really got the whole package. That's the kind of person that God really hasn't much use for. 
Because that's a person that's going to glory in their own strength. They're going to glory in his own resources. He's going to imagine that somehow he can work God's kingdom in his own strength, his own ability. God can't use someone like that. And that's why we see that God uses the humble. And that's what Paul is saying, the weak, those that would be least likely. And yet God is able to use that heart and that life that learns to trust on His grace. No important people to God, all are equal. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ's eyes we are equal. There is none better than another. There is none more important than another. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with your background, your culture, your education, your financial status, your work, what you do for a living. None of that is relevant in the kingdom of God. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are all equal as children and loved of God. And God treats us all the same. The Bible says He is no respecter of persons. What that means is He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't respect one above another. God loves us all. Now God may use us differently. There are different uses that God finds for our lives. And sometimes we, in our, in our kind of human thinking, we imagine some jobs to be more important than others. But in the kingdom of God, every job is of equal importance. It's not what you're doing, it's are you being faithful with what you're doing? Are you being obedient? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Because the reward is not for you know, what you do, what one does versus what another does, but do you, are you faithful with what God asked you to do? The Bible says that even a cup of water given in His name will not go without its reward. God is keeping good books on our faithfulness to obey Him. And God is not uh, diminishing us based on role, but rather He's looking excuse me, for faithfulness. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received Him, to to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become a child of God. If you have received Jesus into your heart, if you have put your faith and trust in Him, then God gives you the right by His grace to become His child. And it's available to whoever, for as many who have received. Anyone can be used by by the grace of God. Anyone can be saved by the grace of God. And I want to say also that God desires to use everyone. So anyone is available for the grace, but God has a plan for each and every one of you. And I don't want you to imagine that somehow... You've been excluded. Okay, maybe I can receive the idea that God's grace can save me. But I'm just not really comfortable that God's grace could actually transform my life into something useful. I'm willing to accept that maybe, okay, God's willing to forgive me of my sins. And if I just, you know, be really 
to do my best from here forward. Maybe I'll get to heaven by the grace of God. But I don't want to be thinking about being used by the Lord. I can't imagine that there would be any value to my life uh, in the kingdom because it's just, you know, I'm not as smart, I'm not as tall, I'm not as good-looking, I'm not as young, I'm too old, I'm too young. All the things that we imagine would disqualify us from being useful to the Lord. But that's not what the Scripture teaches us about the grace of God. Again, some passages for you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that word for workmanship, the Greek rendering, might also be be translated masterpiece. We are something of a work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I know this sounds so so fundamental, so basic, but I need to remind you, God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose, a spiritual purpose, a good work that He has planned for your life. And he planned it before the foundation of the world, before you were born, just like Paul said. God separated me before my mother's womb. Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I saw you, I called you to be a prophet to the nations. God has had you in mind from eternity past, and he has a specific plan and work and purpose for your life to fulfill. You're not just here surviving, holding on, trying to get through. You are here by design. And the grace of God, it's not going to be by any work of your own or any, some kind of you know, strength that you can muster up, but by learning to cooperate and yield to the grace of God in your life and beginning to open your heart and mind up by faith to receive this calling. Maybe God does have a plan for me. Begin to at least imagine that God wants to use your life. And begin to seek that in prayer. Lord, what is it that you desire? I want to be part. I want to be useful in the Master's hand. I want to be dust off this old violin. I want to make beautiful music for you, by you, and for your glory. And so this, this heart that longs to be used by the Lord, it's something that God will awaken in your heart as you begin to recognize the grace of God and its power upon your life. Ephesians 4, seven. But to each one of us, what was given? Is it up there? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I wonder what the Bible means when it says to each one of us. I think it means to each one of us. (laughs) No exceptions here tonight. The Bible says that there's been a grace given to you according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's a gift. It's something that comes from Him. It's not your natural ability, although even, let's be honest, even our natural abilities are are God-given. But we're talking about something even beyond natural ability. We're talking about a spiritual ability, a grace. Something that God has imparted and given to, to you, distributed to each one of us. There are no exceptions here tonight. If you have a relationship with the Lord, you've been gifted. He goes on in that same passage in Ephesians chapter 4, after talking about the variety and differences of gifts, he, he, he concludes in verse 16 that when they all come together, this is what happens. 
uh, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Paul likens the church to a body. Just like a body has different parts all working together to cause health and function of the body, so we as individual members have been brought together, each part doing its share. God has called you to function within the, what is uh, called the body of Christ. You and I are called to be Christ's representatives on the earth. Jesus has ascended. He is no longer here in body. His body is now represented by His people, His children, those that have come to know Him in relationship and those that have been touched by His Spirit and His grace. We now are the arms, the hands, the life of Jesus. And each one of us has something important to do. This is a concept that really, um, I think, is lacking some. I won't say here in our church, but I'll just say in churches general, uh, it seems like church has kind of become, uh, you know, something that we, we attend, like a spectator. You know, we come, you know, the professionals get up and do their thing, you know, the worship band, the pastor teaches, and we listen, and then we, we go home. We're just kind of spectators, coming like the audience. Rather than recognizing we come together as a body, we are together in this. Whatever God wants to do in this community, whatever God wants to do in Calvary Chapel, Monrovia, is going to be the, the work of His Spirit in each and every joint and member supplying its share. And beginning to see yourself as that, a member of the body, an active part, and recognize that it's going to be by the grace of God. Here's what happens. As soon as we get this idea, oh, God wants to use my life. Okay, what do I know how to do? Let's see, I don't know how to do much. I can't do that. Children's ministry? Mm, no, I'm not good with kids. Uh, I can't sing at all. So, uh, you know, and you start kind of going through this list of, and you, and you only think about what you can do, and you look and evaluate your own abilities, and you kind of, well, I'm pretty much just better off sitting in the pew and leaving after service and just being an attender. And we imagine that somehow only what we see in the natural is of any use to the Lord. You've got to begin to recognize it's the grace of God. And it takes faith. I can assure you that there were, there, there were times in my life when I could have never, ever imagined that I would be standing here doing this, teaching the Bible. Believe me. As, as crazy as it would seem to some of you to imagine yourself here teaching the Bible, that's how crazy it was for me. And yet, by the grace of God, here I am. By the grace of God. I can't boast because it's, it's nothing that I've done. I can't take any credit for it because, again, it's by His grace. And you know what? He doesn't need me. God could, God could just as easily raise up someone else to teach the Bible. I hope He doesn't. <laughs> but I, I, God doesn't need me. It's the grace of God. I don't. God's, God's not depending on me. I'm depending on Him, and it's His grace. And 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 I'm I'm privileged to be useful to Him. But it is by His grace, and so God wants to work in your life as well. And the whole body is strengthened as each part does its share. 
Or another verse that speaks to this, Romans chapter 12. The same principle here being spoken to the church in Rome. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And he goes on to identify what some of those gifts are. But the same principle. Listen, don't, don't misjudge yourself. God has given each and every one of you a grace, a gift. And to, to, to those uh, that have been given gifts, he says, use them. Put them to work. Let the Lord use your life. The grace of God is sufficient. The grace of God is able to transform your life in many ways. He's able to use you in ways that you can't even imagine. It takes faith. It takes receiving this grace. It takes cooperating and yielding your heart and life to this grace in relationship with Him. But God wants to use your life. God wants to use my life. God is using our lives as we yield to Him. Now, we talked here on the women's study on Monday, and I'll mention it here because it's also mentioned by Chuck in his book, Beware of the Snare. And he's talking about the snare of the devil. And we talked on Monday night about the accuser, Satan. Beware of that accusation that would come from Satan, trying to whisper something into your conscience, saying, who do you think you are imagining that you could be used by God? Give it up. You know that you're not worthy of that. You know that you're not capable of that. You know what you did. You know what kind of week you had. You know what's going on in your life. You know that you're not useful to the Lord. And the accuser wanting to tear you down, wanting to bring condemnation, wanting to make you feel as though, you know what? Yeah, I just I don't want to dream about that. I don't want to think about that again. I just kind of want to get back into that thinking of I hope I make it to heaven. I just hope I make it to heaven. I just hope I make it to heaven. And that's kind of the existence of our Christianity sometimes. But God is calling you to something more. Don't fall to the accusations of the devil. God has justified you. God has cleansed you. And it's by His grace, His power, His life in you and through you. God wants to use all of us, every one of us. And let me close here with a few thoughts. God uses everything. God uses everything in your life to bring you to that place of usefulness and that plan and purpose that He has for your life. We know this out of Romans chapter 8. We quote this often. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. What does that tell us? That tells us that God is going to be able to work every situation, every circumstance in your life. He's going to be able to work it into something good for the furthering of His call and purpose in your life. Now, that doesn't mean He's going to work everything into the good that I imagine for my life. But it means that He's going to work it into the good that He has planned and destined for your life. 
And isn't that what we saw in the life of the Apostle Paul? God was able to use even Paul's sinfulness, even Paul's violence, even Paul's persecution, the evil that he did, God was able to use that into something good in that it was able to demonstrate the power of God's grace. That even if if there's hope for a guy like Paul, then there's hope for someone like you and me. And he was able to use that contrast for his own glory. And God is working in your life. The circumstances of your life, God is using them to bring about his design and purpose. And if you think, if you've been with the Lord for any length of time, you can probably look back on times in your life when you were going through something that at the time made no sense. In fact, it seemed like it was everything but God's will and purpose for your life. But having come through the trial, having come through the storm, having been brought through, all of a sudden now looking back, you can see, oh, that kind of makes sense for me now. That I begin to understand what God was doing, that God was working something to prepare my life for this particular call and purpose and ministry. And I believe that that is what uh, Romans 8.28 is speaking about. I believe that that's what grace is able to do. Don't disqualify yourself by any past. Don't disqualify yourself by anything that's going on in your life now. Look to the Lord. Look to His grace. Paul was used mightily by the Lord. He had a tremendous amount of Jewish training, and God put that to use. He was also a Roman citizen. God used that in his ministry. He also had a great familiarity with Greek culture. God used that in his ministry. It's amazing. How as we begin to walk in the grace of God and open our hearts up to the idea that God not only wants to save, but wants to use my life for His glory, you begin to see God put pieces together and God begin to weave a tapestry, if you will, of His grace in and through your life. I think of my own life, and I'll I'll close here with just a couple of personal examples. I've shared some of my testimony with you before, but I... I think of just looking back on my own life. Lord, how did I get here? I told you it's, it's amazing to me that I'm here tonight. I, I feel like I was something of a late bloomer in ministry. I've been a believer for over 30 years and, and been around and involved in ministry serving for most of that time. But I have to say that for the first, it, it's been really just the last half of that, by the last 15 years that I've really begun to see God opening up new doors and areas in my life by His grace. For the first 15 years of my Christian life, I was troubled with a sense of unworthiness. I was troubled with a sense of you know, not really being useful to the Lord. And although I was a Christian, and I was a committed Christian, I was you know, living as my life as a Christian, faithful in fellowship, and allowing myself certain ministry exposure and certain ministry serving, But I had this sense of not really wanting to think beyond those certain boundaries that I had kind of put upon myself because of, you know, my own interpretation of what I was capable of, looking to myself rather than considering the grace of God. And somewhere about 15 years ago, and give or take a year or two, God really began to open my horizons and began to share this idea that Richard, my grace is not limited in you. You may be limiting yourself, but the grace of God knows no limits. If you will begin to allow and begin to dream and begin to to imagine that I can use your life, 
and open up your heart to, to let me direct your steps and, and don't hold yourself back, but take steps of faith as you begin to see me open doors before you. And a journey began that led to more ministry opportunity. That became fruitful, which then opened up other ministry opportunities, which led ultimately to planting a work up here in the city of Monrovia, which has led to a church, which has led to all the things that are going on here in our midst. And again, it's just the grace of God working through an ordinary guy who was kind of messed up and, and didn't really get it, but began to kind of just trust in the grace of God. No different than you. And God wants to work in your life. Now, God hasn't called all of us to be pastors, of course. But God has called all of us. And God has called all of us to be fruitful. And it's by His grace. I look back and I I think, Lord, you know, uh, there there are times when I used to think, oh, Lord, I just wasted so much of my life. But I begin to realize, you know, none of that time was wasted. God was working. God was working in my life. I remember as a junior high kid learning how to play the guitar. I hated it. My mother forced me to learn that guitar. And I hated it and hated it and hated it. And then finally I began to where I could play a little bit. And then I began to enjoy it. And, and I had no idea that the Lord would one day you know, use my meager guitar skills by His grace to lead others in worship. I was in junior high and I joined the choir and I remember when I was in elementary school, I got kicked out of the choir in elementary school. And, uh, and but, well, you know what I remember, because I was a troublemaker, just goofing around, you know, fifth grade, kind of a goof off. And the, 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 the teacher, the woman teacher who uh, directed the choir, she said, you know, Richard, I hate to kick you out because you really have a nice voice. But I can't have you in the class, so out you go. And, you know, I left there thinking, I've got a good voice. <laughs> it's the first time I knew. I didn't know that. I, somebody told me I had a good voice. So when I got to junior high, kind of a fresh slate, right? The, the, my bad reputation was, was gone. And, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll join the choir. And I got involved in the choir in junior high. And I enjoyed it. I had a great time. I loved singing, and I really enjoyed music. And then I was in the seventh grade, and then into the eighth grade, I stayed in the choir. And, and who do you think got into the seventh grade, grade choir the year behind me? This cute little thing named Tony. <laughs> and we were just talking about this. You know, I told you we shared our, our wedding anniversary here recently. And we were just talking about this. And I was thinking, you know, can you... It had to be the Lord. You know, it had to be the Lord. Uh, you know, we met each other in junior high in this kind of common bond of music. And it evolved, of course, into an ultimate dating relationship in high school and now we're married 29 years but you know you look back and you say only God could have known and only God could have put these things together and what a blessing my wife is to me in ministry what a strength she is her music uh, ability grace that God has given in her and the support that she is you know she's a real blessing to me and I, and it was you know she picked me out of a junior high lineup you know yeah. He's a cute one. I'm going to get to know him, you know. And that began a five-year stalking that... Uh, <laughs> that led to the blessing that we now enjoy. 
You know, I could just go on and on and tell you all kinds of little little stories, little turns in my life. And I share it. I open my life up to you because I know your life has those same kind of turns and interesting things that have happened. And I want you to see it in light of the grace of God working in your life. Even the, even the dark times, even the, the mistakes, even the things that would you might even be ashamed of. Recognize that even in those Seasons, the grace of God was working in your life. You know, for some of us, you have to taste the bitterness of sin before you really come to the reality that you don't want to live that way. And God is able to use that as a discipline, as a change, as a, as a leading you to Christ. The prodigal son, he didn't really get it, did he, until he kind of came to the end of himself. But God is working. And don't look at those things as, as the kinds of things that would somehow disqualify you from the grace of God, but rather begin to see them as simply another piece in the puzzle of how God is able by His grace to work these things together for good. And I can see that in my own life, and I want you to see that for yourself. Many of you do and can, and I want to encourage you tonight. God can use anyone. God wants to use everyone. And there are none that would be disqualified here tonight from the grace of God coming into your life to cleanse you of your sin, to bring you into right relationship with Him. And not only that, the grace of God doesn't just want to save you. The grace of God wants to actually put your life into fruitful service in the kingdom of God. And every one of us is called, and every one of us by the grace of God has this opportunity and privilege. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You, Lord, that at best we're just dusty old violins. But in the hand of the Master, empowered by the grace of God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And Lord, I I pray tonight that you will minister this hope into our hearts. That we will stop looking at ourselves and evaluating ourselves by ourselves, comparing ourselves with others, but rather that we would look to you and we would begin to see ourselves in the eyes of grace, that undeserved, unmerited favor that comes from God. That you would choose us, that you have chosen us, and that you've called us and that you've purposed us for your eternal destiny. Lord, all of us are called into something different and for something different. But all of it is useful in the overall scheme of what you're doing in the earth and in our lives and in this church and in this generation. And so I pray tonight that you would speak, Lord, words of vision into the heart of your people tonight. Words of encouragement. May the grace of God go and flood the heart and mind of your people tonight and and awaken them to your plan and purpose and desire for them. That they would begin to hunger for it, really to thirst after it, and they would begin to draw near to you and to cooperate with that grace, to allow your, your work in and through their lives. I pray, God, that we would become useful to the Master tonight. Also tonight as we're closing, and as you just keep your head bowed with me for one more moment, I I do want to give an opportunity for those of you that may need to be 
responding to the Lord tonight. Maybe God has spoken to you very specifically and you'd like to respond to Him. I want to talk first to those who may not have a relationship with the Lord. It may be that you are here tonight and maybe you were invited, maybe you've just kind of been coming and checking things out, but here you are tonight and you know that the Lord is speaking to you. And something of his message is getting through. He's saying to you, listen, I love you. And I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. It begins with Jesus. It begins with coming to me and confessing your sin and allowing me to forgive you. And allowing the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross to completely wash you and set you before me in perfect holiness and righteousness. And it may be that you've never invited the Lord into your life. You've never really had the Lord give you that clean slate. But He's speaking to you tonight and you'd like to be prayed for. I'd love to pray for you and invite Jesus into your heart and into your life. Or you may be here tonight and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe you've known the Lord, you've walked with Him, but tonight you're not close to Him in relationship. And maybe you're someone who's really been under the weight of feeling unworthy. Maybe you have been distant from God. Maybe you've had some trouble. Maybe recently, even some sin or some things that have gone on in your life and you're, you're feeling like you can't really come to the Lord. A sense of guilt, maybe, or shame. But the Lord is speaking to you tonight. I pray that He is. I pray that the message of grace is hitting your heart and finding its mark tonight. And it's the Lord inviting you to Him, inviting you to Himself. Take your eyes off of your shortcomings. Take your eyes off of the past. Quit looking to yourself. Quit measuring yourself. Look to me. Trust me tonight. Allow my grace to completely touch and empower you. And you need to rededicate. Just come and recommit your life to Him afresh. I'd love to pray for you. If you're here tonight, and you would like to invite Jesus into your heart for the very first time, or you would like to recommit, rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand where you're seated so I can pray for you? Anybody here tonight, the Lord is speaking to you, and you need prayer. Just raise your hand so I can see it, and I'll pray. Bless you, sir, there on my right in the back. You as well, young man. Any others before I pray for these two that have responded? The Lord speaking to you. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? It's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I just want to pray for you. But it's important. A step of faith on your part. Lord, I need you. Lord, I come to you. God bless you, ma'am, over on my far left there. Anyone else before we pray for these that have responded? Father, we do thank you for those hearts that are touched here tonight by your word. And I ask God that they, they would come to you tonight honestly and that they would just allow me to, to voice this prayer for their heart. We would come and we would say, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Lord, I acknowledge that I, I fall short, that I, I've got something of a spotted past and I need you to cleanse me and forgive me. 
Lord, I, I want to repent. I want to turn from these things. I don't want to just keep living this way. I want to be changed. Please, may your grace come into my heart and life and begin to transform me into a new person. That I might begin to live for you. That I might begin to walk close with you in relationship. And Lord, having forgiven us, having cleansed us, so Lord, help our lives to become useful in your hand as we walk close to you. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We need your grace. And we pray that you would make all of that available to us abundantly tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.